Here we go to the book of James, please. Uh, chapter number 5. Today, verse number 12. We're actually moving past our little paragraph into verse number 12. It's still related to it. So if you say, well, you wanted to keep going on the same thing. We are. We're just adding a new verse to it. It says, verse 12, But of all, above all, my brethren... Do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, with any other oath. But your yes is to be yes, and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Interesting sounding, isn't it? Heavenly Father, we are going to look at this verse today, but for us to fully understand it, we need your Holy Spirit to direct us and teach us from this passage. We're, we're just sitting at your feet today and asking you to teach us. We realize, Lord, that these words are not just so that we can intellectually understand, but that we might respond to them, apply them in our lives, live them out to your honor and glory. So there is much called upon today when we enter into a passage like this or like any other place of your word. And so recognizing our dependence upon you. We pray before we even begin, because without you, we would never understand this. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this sounds, in light of the context we've been in, it sounds a little out of place, doesn't it? We've been talking about uh, um, the examples of suffering and patience. We've been talking about uh, Job and what he endured. We've talked about the prophets. We, we've talked about the Lord and his character. We've talked about those two big words I taught you. Uh, immutable and inscrutable. The identity of the Lord's character. Here, he's full of compassion and he's merciful. And suddenly, James goes into one verse that sounds very out of place in the context. At least it does to some people. They say, I don't understand. Why is that here? How do they write these verses anyway? They just write up a bunch of verses, toss them in the air, and let them fall wherever they wanted to? You probably think that I wouldn't believe that. Um, because I don't. I honestly, thoroughly believe the Holy Spirit is the author of this book. And he used people to record it for us. And if God's behind it, then it makes sense even if I don't understand how it goes together. Now, that's a great way to start the sermon, isn't it? Um, that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying that sometimes the order looks funny, and we stop and we say, why is that there? What, what's that got to do with the whole? Because he was just talking about suffering, and how we bear up underneath it, and all these things we've been talking about, and trusting the Lord. And if we took verse 12 out, look at the way verse 13 starts. Is anyone among you suffering? You say, okay, is that the same thing he was just talking about in verse number 11? Yes. And verse number 10, and verse number 9, and backing all the way up to verse number 6. These believers have been going through it. And suffering here is not by definition, I have a bad toe, and it hurts, and I'm having a bad day because of it. It's not that kind of suffering. The, the nature of the word suffering is something bad is done to you. 
you're undergoing something bad or evil, and the nature of this is in persecution, really. That's what James Reader would have understood when they heard that word. It was a unique word, a special word that just spoke of bad things happening to you because you're a believer. Okay? So, with that, he puts verse number 12 right between the thoughts. You ready to get this? This is going to be fun. This is going to be a lot of fun. Let's, let's see where we are and what we know so far. We are examining living faith. Not just some doctrinal statement, not just some words that we say, I believe that and I'm good. There was a story once of a man who, who uh, was approached by a, a visiting pastor and he says, well, what, what do you believe? And the man says, I believe what my church believes. He says, okay, what does your church believe? He says, well, they believe the thing I believe. He says, well, what do you both believe? He says, the same thing. <laughs> I'm thinking how many times we, we chalk it up as beliefs is a, is a paper. It's, a, it's something in my head. It's just something I filed away. It's not what we're looking at here. Because we're talking about a living faith, as James would say. Not just being hearers of the word, but being doers of the word. There is a vast difference. And as Christians, we are called to live it out. To do it. And that's why this whole book is set around that theme. And I know we just jumped into chapter 5 and started going through it. But that's the theme of the book. Live it out. Live it out. And in doing that, sometimes you face some very difficult things. As these folks here in the context were being persecuted, and I say it very carefully, but they were being persecuted because of their faith. It says so at the end of verse number 6. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. That's in light of the, the bad employers that's referenced in chapter 5, 1 through 5, what they have done to a person, they've withheld their pay, they've done all these other things, and it's primarily because they were righteous. All right, that set the theme. But when James was talking to these fine folks in the tough days that they're facing, he tells them those commands. We keep repeating them, because if they can live them, we can live them. Be patient. Be patient, twice. Verse number 7, verse number 8. Strengthen your hearts, verse number 8. Do not complain, verse number 9. That's what he was calling them to do. Those were essential. Because injustice was all over the page, and, and persecution was all over the page, and it was hard. And we must remember who we're dependent on here. In our day and age, probably in theirs too, we like revenge. We, we like to, to straighten things out, right? They hurt me. I'll get them for that. It's a hard thing to be patient. <laughs> and be patient. And strengthen your heart. And stop complaining. All right. You've had that plenty of weeks. I mean, you've been beaten with it over and over again. It's probably engraved somewhere on the body by now that we have heard these same words. So, verse number 12 pops in. In the midst of that context, above all, my brethren, do not swear, 
either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, that you may not fall under judgment. Do not swear, he says. We have a calling. We have a calling to depend upon God. We must live that way. Honestly, folks, if we don't live that way, who will? Is the world going to depend upon God? Show it in their life? No. It's a believer's job. It's our job to do this. We have to live as dependent ones upon the Lord. That's part of what we're called to do. The prophets were examples of that. Job was an example of that. James' readers were examples of that. And we should be too. With all that said, who did they trust? He said, well, that's easy. It was the Lord. We're in church. We're supposed to say it that way, right? We trust the Lord, right? Is that what we believe? Is that what we do? Ouch. Okay. This is getting uncomfortable already. We are saying... We trust the Lord. We are to be living that we trust the Lord. The world sees the difference between words and actions. They see the difference. I told you before that the Lord is immutable, which means what? He doesn't change. I told you He's inscrutable, which means... It's hard to understand. If you can't remember that, that's okay, because that's exactly what it means. I don't understand. All right? he, he's sometimes hard to understand. He's always full of compassion. He is always merciful. Those were the last words we just encountered in verse 11. Always, 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 always. Regardless of our circumstances... We're not to be driven by them, right? He is always full of compassion. He is always merciful. And don't say, yeah, but. That doesn't work in the definition. And we have plenty of yeah, buts, don't we? We have a whole stack of things, and some of you are facing real tough things. I know. That does not change our Lord. He is compassionate to you right now at full measure like he was last week and last month and last year. And he will be tomorrow too. That's good news. That's what I mean by this. He does not change. We're not driven by our circumstances. We're not driven by our our condition. We're not driven by, you know, these things that are in the news or these things that are at the office or these things that are at the doctor's office or whatever. Our experiences are under His sovereignty. I believe that with all my heart. It's under His sovereignty. And if it's under His sovereignty, it's under His compassion. And if it's under His compassion, it's under His mercy. And if it's under His mercy, it will never change. That's the way He is. I wanted to hammer that down. So we know it. Many times we we say, yeah, but don't do that here. The arena of persecution was tough. Ask these people what it was like in the book of James. Let me just set the table for you, okay? Just a little bit here. 
But so we could help understand this verse that James has put here. The nature of the believer's circumstances in the days of James, probably written about 48 A.D., right? That meant the church was about 15 years old. Pretty young still. The believers have already experienced persecution by the year 48. Look at, look at this. James chapter 1. Just back up. I'll show it to you. James chapter 1. How are they described in verse number 1? What's the word, the verb? Anyone see it? I hear That's the start of it. Scattered or dispersed or something of that nature. Uh, they were already dispersed abroad. They were scattered like seeds. Which meant they weren't at their homes anymore. They weren't at their fields, their property, their jobs. Maybe their family. They've been spread around. Why? Because they were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were being chased. They were being chased and their life was in danger. They had faced persecution. How do I know that's true? Look at verse number 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you face various trials. (laughs) They've already been under them. They've been going through that. All right? So, that's one thing to mark. It wasn't much earlier that the Apostle Paul, whose former name was Saul, was the persecutor of these people. He was the one chasing them. AD 33 and 34, sometime after Pentecost, after the church had started, we already see it in Acts chapter 3, we already see it in Acts chapter 4, where the Christians were being threatened for their faith, told, don't speak in the name of Jesus anymore. Acts chapter 5, we find the whole bunch of the apostles in prison. Acts chapter number 7, we have a man named Stephen being martyred for his faith. These are all prior to the writing of this book. Saul, in chapter 8 of the books of Acts, it says, was in hearty agreement with putting them to death, Stephen and others. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered. There's the word. They were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And it says in chapter 8, verse 3 of Acts, Saul began ravaging the church entering house after house, dragging up men and women. He'd put them in prison. This was about 15 years before James wrote the book. You could add all of Acts chapters 1 through 14 here. All these things happened before this book was written. Including Paul's salvation. That's good news. The conversion of Gentiles, that's good news. The beginning of Paul's missionary journeys, that's good news. By the way, chapter 14 of Acts, just before I believe this book was written, chapter 14 ends with Paul being stoned for his faith. I would say that's pretty heavy stuff. That's the background when you're looking at these people and say, well, are they really having a tough time? Oh, yes, they were. It was not easy being a Christian in those days. Acts chapter 14, 21, 
speaks of Paul and, and his group. They preached the gospel to the city. They made disciples. They returned to Lystra, to Iconium, to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, listen to this, this is what they're telling the churches. Right. When they're having a tough time, you want to say something really uplifting, right? So everyone comes away feeling great. This is the word that they shared. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Does that encourage you? You say, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like it's one of those picker-upper kind of phrases. You know, make me feel better. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, that's an interesting phrase, and I looked it up carefully just to make sure what he meant by that. The word through is not on account of many persecutions we enter the kingdom of God. That would be works. And that's not what it says. It says through, the idea of passing through. Like, if you're on a trip and you're going from here to South Dakota, you have to go through Hayes, Kansas. If you're taking that route, you've got to go through it to get up there. All right? You may not stay. You may not even like the town, but you've got to go through it. You may not like tribulation. You may not want to be there. But you go through it because between here and the kingdom of heaven, there's some pretty tough places to travel. So they appoint elders everywhere they went and said, okay, guys, encourage this flock. We're going through tough times. There's a lot of turbulence. <laughs> as Paul is speaking, as James is writing, as Peter wrote even 16 years later. You could go 15 years on one side, 16 years on the other side of James' writing. And Peter says this in his epistle, 1 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. They were spread all over the place. Just like they were 30 years prior. It's a pretty tough thing. But here's what Peter said. I want to add this to it. You want to see it? It's in First Peter. You're in James. It's just turn the next book. Chapter number 3. Verse 13. Start right there and go with a handful of verses up to about verse 17. I think it's very important that you hear what was being told to those people in that day. First Peter 3.13 Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience. So that in the thing in which they, you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right, rather than for doing what is wrong. Now listen again to these words. He says, who's going to harm you, really, by doing good things? You say, well, they shouldn't harm me for doing good things, but I live in a pretty wicked world, don't I? They do harm Christians for doing good things. That's reality. 
He says, well, if you suffer for the sake of righteousness, don't you know you're blessed? Most of us step back from that one. <laughs> what do you mean? Right? He says, blessed are you when men revile you, persecute you, say all manner of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Matthew chapter 5. It's like, whew, Jesus said that. Peter said it here too. You are blessed. He says, so, because that is true, do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled, agitated. Do not be agitated. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. There you're going to set it up. That's who I trust. Sanctify is like a sanctuary. You set it apart as a special place. All right? In your heart, Jesus is Lord. Oh, I know what the others are doing. Outside is pretty rough. Agitation, intimidation, sanctify Christ in your heart because you need to be ready. You need to always be ready because they're going to ask you. And verse number 15 is not ask you in the kind way. It's demand of you. An answer to that faith that you're carrying around. They want to know why you believe what you believe. And they're going to pin you against the wall because they want you to say it so they can persecute you. Is that intimidating? How many of us are quick to answer that one? They said they want to know. They want to know what that hope is in with you. So when you answer them, do it with gentleness. Do it with reverence. But that thing about a good conscience... Do you know how, how you feel when you had the opportunity to say the right thing and you didn't say it? You've been there before? Or you should have said something against what they were saying, but you didn't say it, and you went back home? You ever feel that in here? <laughs> say, ooh, I should have said something. Or if somebody says, you're a believer too, aren't you? And you take on the Peter mentality. I don't know what you're talking about. Ever been there? You feel intimidated suddenly. You feel the blood pressure come on real heavy. You clam up. You freeze. You panic. You don't know what to say. What do I do? Uh Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Isn't that a reaction we've all had one time or another? Or maybe too often? Peter says, don't let them intimidate you. Christ is your Lord. Christ is your Lord. But this is the arena we live in. That's the arena they lived in. That's what they faced, folks. I had to set that table for you, because back here in James, guess what he's talking about? Your words. Your words. In the midst of that suffering, he has to say a thing about your words. It wasn't uncommon for believers to face persecution in this world. That has not changed much over the years. We still live in a world that's dark and under the wrath of God and does not want the light and hates the light because their deeds are evil. It's not uncommon for a believer to struggle with living by faith in a world like this. That's not uncommon. And we're especially concerned when it means we can get hurt for it. Let me, let me bring you back to an illustration just a little bit ago we had in this context. Job. 
Why was Job selected for this test? Why was Job attacked by Satan? What was it about Job that made him stand out? He was a righteous man. See it? They didn't go after Job's friends. They went after Job, the righteous man. Why were the prophets singled out for persecution? Was it their wardrobe? Was it their haircut? It was their righteousness. And especially their message of righteousness. The goal of the world is to silence the message. Understand that? That's why he deals with words suddenly. You may say, well, how does this fit? Above all, brethren, these guys knew all these terrible, difficult things called to live by faith. Above all, brethren... Do not swear. Now, he's not saying don't start throwing bad words out. Right? That's not what... We use that word that way. Right? He's not saying... He's not... Although that's probably a good idea to bring this up, by the way. If trouble comes your way and the first thing out of your mouth is something against your Lord, think about that. Think about that. That is the name that saved you. Why would you use it in such a vain, horrible way? You, scripture, there's passages everywhere. The pastors can pounce all over that one. Um, what you say with your mouth. But that's not what he's saying here. I just thought that was a good rabbit trail. He's talking about words we use to affirm our message. Now, that sounds a little interesting, but when we're intimidated... We think somehow we got to back up something we want to protect us by saying something, and we always add a little bit of an oath, you know, by my children, or by my house, or by my, my God, or something like that. We put on a little bit of an oath there in order to make it sound more authentic, more forceful, more true. I don't know why we do that, but we do it that way, don't we? We add a little bit more to it to make it seem like that's the way you answer. By the way, Peter did exactly that thing when that little, little maidservant kept asking him, aren't you a Galilean? Aren't you with Jesus? He answered with an oath. People say, oh, Peter uses bad words. Uh, He probably was trying to say, no, really, honestly, you know, upon my honor, whatever, he, he added an oath. Because they demanded an answer. When things are serious, we support our statements that way. Interestingly, Jesus addressed the same thing. Back in Matthew 5-7 through in the Beatitudes, not the whole section of this, but chapter 5-7 through so much resembles the book of James, you'd say, that's amazing. Matter of fact, you'd say, well, James must have been listening that day. Hardly. He wasn't even saved at that time. It was after the resurrection of Christ that we come to believe that James came to know the Lord at all. In that way. But this was likely the principal teaching of the church. The Beatitudes is a great place to start because the disciples were there. And they did hear what Jesus had to say. And it seemed to be the first thing that came to their mind. And this is what Jesus said. 
had told them. Matthew 5, 33-37. Again, you have heard, the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but you shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all. Jesus is saying this. Make no, no oath at all, either by heaven or for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is a city of the great king. You shall not make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond this is of evil. Now that's an interesting phrase, and you're saying, I don't get it. Maybe you don't, but listen carefully. If you're going to make an oath and you're going to swear by heaven, how much of heaven do you control? You don't. You say, okay, well, I can't do that. Um, I'm going to swear by the earth. How much of that do you control? You don't. Oh, well, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to swear by Jerusalem, the city. Do you control that too? No? Oh, it gets easier. I'm going to swear by my own head. But you can't even change the color of your hair. You said, I can. <laughs> no, you said, no, no, no. You know what he means. Go ahead. Sit here and think right now. and turn, Everybody turn their hair purple right now. You can't do it. You know why? Because you can't do it. You don't control that. You can't make it happen. Jesus would say you can't add an inch to your stature either. There's so many things we don't control. How can you make an oath by something you don't possess? You don't own. You can't control. Now that's interesting because you're trying to make your words sound more firm, but you're using something that doesn't even belong to you. Isn't that a silly way to say it? But that's exactly what's happening here. He says, why, when you want to say something, you use something you can't control? Heaven, earth, any part of the day, you name it, you can't do this. When it comes down to this, it's simple. When you say yes, mean yes. You can control that. When you say no, mean no. Because you can control that. You can control what is the right answer. Say yes, if that's the right answer. Say yes. We sometimes are saying, but I'm afraid to say yes. Under intense persecution, I'm really afraid to say yes. If the answer is no, it's right to say no. Isn't it? Spurgeon once said that learning to say no was more valuable to you than learning Latin. Think about that. We think Latin so important. No is more. If you know that no is the right answer, say no. But we're often afraid to say no because of intimidation, because of peer pressure, because of persecution, because we're afraid. 
But folks, we're dependent on the Lord, aren't we? Isn't that what living faith's all about? We trust Him, don't we? We said He doesn't change, right? We said He's always compassionate. Even at this moment, when they're badgering me for an answer and I'm afraid to answer? Yes, He's still compassionate. He didn't change. He's still merciful, isn't He? Even when we get in that place where we feel like we have to say something with an oath to save our skin. As if what we say is the only way to rescue ourselves from our trouble. That's how we use our words. We're trying to, to act as if survival is entirely dependent on us. I think we should parade in here three men. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You know their other names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they were intimidated, and boy, you would have loved to have been in their sandals that day. When the entire crowd bowed down before the idol that Nebuchadnezzar had created and worshipped it. And they were told to. And they refused to do that. And they were taken before the king and he was full of wrath that they, had did, they did not obey him. Intimidation to the highest degree. He even got the furnace cranked up real hot and showed it to him. He says, now, bow down, or that's where you're going. How would you like to have been there? You remember their words? No. <laughs> that's simple enough. We will not bow down. You could throw us in there. Our God's in charge of that department. If we die, that's His favor. That's His will. That's His desire. That's fine. If we live, that's His will. Only He could do it. But no matter what, we're not going to disobey Him. We're not going to bow down. Their yes was yes. And their no was no. And it's because they trusted their God. That's where their dependence was. You know the rest of the story, I think. If you don't, you've got to read it later. I'm not finishing it. They trusted him. That's where they stood. Now, most of the time, we don't know what's on the other side of the furnace. <laughs> and that's where we stand. And that's our problem. We're a little nervous about this thing. Because we don't know the next ten minutes. And so, we find some ways to save our skin. We answer according to the way the world thinks. To make them think that we're very adamant about what we're saying. Yet all the while... Sometimes we're inaccurate with our words because we're trying to save the dearest thing to us, our lives. Let your words match your faith. That's my translation of verse number 12. Let your words match your faith. You can't swear by heaven. You don't control it. You can't swear by earth. You can't control that. Don't use any oath. Just say yes when it's right to say yes. Because you're depending upon your Lord. Say no when it's right to say no. Because you're depending upon your Lord. He says, so that you may not fall under judgment. And you say, "Uh uh-huh. The Lord's going to get you if you do it wrong. Actually, It's the world that wants to judge you. Do you know that? 
they know very well when your words do not match your actions. They look for it. And when we don't live it out, they're quick to bring that up. That's a judgment you'll see. You think that by saying something contrary to what you actually believe, it might save you in the light of persecution. And yet that's the very thing they're hoping for you to do. Because then they prove that you're just not trusting him after all. Isn't that a frightful proposition? A terrible route to go. We thought we were getting out of trouble and it just made it deeper. Because our yes was not yes and our no was not no. This is kind of heavy, isn't it? But what's the point of what James is trying to say here? I've been telling you all along, living faith is not partial faith. It's not partial faith in your behavior. It's not partial faith in your words. Be honest with your words. Yes means yes. No means no. And base it all on the measure that you know Him. Because the measure you know Him is a measure you're going to trust Him. That's very important. So that's where I believe verse number 12 fits into the whole picture. Because we're going to be using words. Shouldn't they resemble the faith we believe in? Shouldn't they? I do believe so. Now, practice it this week, okay? That's the next step in our process of learning. We put it into practice. So think about this verse, go over it a few times, maybe even write it down somewhere. Yes means yes. That's a good place to start. Then once you learn that one, start with the second one. No means no. Sometimes it's little steps that make a difference. But it's because we trust Him. Heavenly Father, we've got a lot to learn. This might have just been just brushing the edge of this whole thing. As deep as it gets, as, as, as intimidating as the world can be. Lord, I can't possibly apply this to everybody's life, but you can. You know their situation and you know where they stand with you. You know what they face on a daily basis. What struggles they have along the way. What it means to live by faith in their particular circumstances. You know all that and I'm glad you do. Because all of us are in the same place in this regard. We need to live out a faith that shows that we're dependent on you. And I pray, Lord, that we will take this seriously. That we will watch our words, watch our actions, and glorify you with every piece and part of it, we pray. Help us with it, Lord. It is a lot. And we need your help. In Jesus' name, amen.